Hello, friends. Welcome to She Wonders Why. I'm Andrew with the Binks. Now, today's guest is a favorite of mine because, well, he's just an awesome human being, first of all. But second of all, we have been participating in a letter exchange on the platform letter.wiki. It's a website where you can exchange letters on a certain topic. I began a conversation with Liam Bright, asking him about uh, critical race theory. If you haven't had a look at our exchange, I would suggest you to just browse uh, what we've written because we discuss quite heavily the topic found within those letters in this chat. So Liam and I thought it might be a good idea to talk about this letter exchange and what we learned from it and any unanswered questions. And yeah, it was a really enjoyable discussion. I hope you guys like it. I would love to know what you think about this particular subject. I know critical race theory is a bit of a hot topic. So yeah, please uh, leave a question or a comment and subscribe if you haven't yet. Without further ado, here is Liam. All right, I was asking you about your piece on the Rona. Yes, so I, so I was saying that um, that piece was kind of inspired by um, by some problems I had, both with uh, uh, how, at least reportedly, my government was what was responding to Rona. I'm in the UK, but okay. but more than just that, really, kind of by how some reporting on COVID nineteen and the response to it was going. Where and, and I don't necessarily blame journalists for this, um, or even well, maybe I do blame the government, but I don't necessarily blame journalists for this. Um, but you know, right now we're having to deal with a new thing. There's a lot of new information coming in, and it's un in in many ways unprecedented. I mean, it's literally a new disease. Um, and so, uh, sort of, a lot of people are having the worry that like it's so new and so unprecedented that like we can't possibly plan for the future very well. And that was leading them to to sort of doubt some of the the better plans which i think are currently available and so i tried to write a piece along with a, a colleague of mine on the school of economics where we sort of tried to say that like even in the face of like a lot of uncertainty you can still respond sensibly like there are there are still things you can do which are sort of well-grounded rational means of responding to very heavy uncertainty so i hope at least you know you know i hope it to sort of at least get some uh he sort of shed some light on how that could be, and hopefully that will help people out when they think about like what can be done here. So that that was the goal there. Okay, well, can okay now I'm I kind of can you share like one of your best points? I love this. Um, well, <laughs> you know, uh, so well, so I guess there were two that I would especially okay. highlight. So I'll go with that. Okay. So um. One of them is, and this is a matter of the, the UK government's rhetoric, um, they would often talk in terms of uh, following the science and kind of like you should, should do all the advice because we're following the science. And, um, you know, it's, it's a very, very basic thing in, in decision theory, the bit of philosophy or maths philosophy that I study, um, economics even, um, that, you know, that doesn't quite make sense. Like you get an information from the world, but that doesn't straightforwardly tell you what to do. You need to like, know 
what counts as a good decision for you, because that's the only way your, your information can inform a decision. Right. And so the science, if you think of that as just like the information I'm getting about what the virus is doing and how and like, like how what, it spreads and things. what is versus what ought we do about it? Exactly. Right. It's that kind of split. Right. Mm-hmm. And that kind of shows up in our decision making. Um, theories mm. and so one of the things i want to do was say like you know there's more to this than just follow the science you have to like follow the science along with having a plan for like rationally responding to the information which science gives you mm-hmm. and so one of the things i wanted to do was say you know like there's more to it than that and these are the other kinds of considerations you need to take into account and then so that was one of the points and i think that's a kind of quite a, you know it's a sort of a point which people should be familiar with, but I think a lot of people weren't and the government were talking as if they weren't and if they talk as if they weren't what i worry is that allows them to not fully explain their decisions, right? So we know what they're doing, the science they get, and that's good, but we don't know what they're doing with that information. And actually when their behavior seems to be not good, and I think the UK and the US seem to have actually had quite bad responses. And so in hindsight, I would like to learn from this experience and do better. And in order to learn from it, we need to know, well, what exactly were you doing with the information when you took it in? And so, um, so one of the things I sort of wanted to put some pressure on people or understand why some pressure should be put for the government to explain not just what's the science you're following, but also what's the decision rules or procedures you're following, because right. we need to know where the er- where errors came in. Um, so that was one of the points which we made. I'll try and sort of explain. That's kind of a, a point early on. And another point was that... Um, so some so there's this very famous in the UK, I don't know how it played out in Canada, but in the UK and maybe America, a very famous model from people at Imperial College, where they predicted that if nothing was done to stop the spread of the virus, you'd have um, over 500,000 dead in the UK and over 2 million dead in the US. Right, okay. Um, as the virus. And... Um, it seemed that one of the ways people were reasoning with that was as if like, well, that's just a prediction about what will happen in that world. And we can sort of like treat that as our guess about what's going to happen there. And then um, and then we can sort of start making policies as if, well, we know that's what happened in that world and we can see what would happen in different alternatives, et cetera. But that's, that's quite a bad way of reasoning with the model, basically. Like it's way too uncertain really to be sure in any particular figures in that kind of way. That's It's not very realistic in terms of how much information the model can really give you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so some journalists and even some academics responding to this were saying like, no, this isn't a good way to decide what policy to use, right? Like that's just not a very good use of models or, or modeling in public policy. That's okay. not very, that shows like you're way too confident in like one model, which you couldn't po- you shouldn't possibly be that confident in it. Right. And to some extent, right. I think that's right. Like that is correct. That is a good criticism of that way of talking. But we wanted to say that even though that's true, there are still ways of like using the information this gives you to like still like sensibly decide on policies. And we think those policies would probably push you to be quite cautious and still try and right. suppress the virus, right. even if you didn't know that that was the exact figures. And so we want to sort of agree with that criticism, but say, nonetheless, there are still like sensible reasons to use this information to motivate you to kind of suppress the virus. Right. So that was... Um, so you know we're we're not epidemiologists. The, me and the other author, we're um, we do decision theory, and so we don't. The only thing, like, the thing we're expert on is like how to use models and convert them to decisions. We can't really say what's a good model or not. So if it's just a bad model, it's a bad model. We, that's we don't have the expertise for that. Right. But we at least want to say that you know it, it, you can do something of this if it is a good model. Right. And so would would it be good to have multiple models to sort of look at? Yeah. So there's a few things. Like one thing, like yeah, you should probably um, 
probably just like try out lots of different models, try out lots of different parameterizations of the model, look at different initial conditions and assumptions you can make in the model. Right. Also try and expand the use of the models to include different things. Now there's a complication because it gets more complicated and takes more time. Mm. Of course, you know, we need policy now. So, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. it's, you yeah. it forever. And so those are things you should try and do. And we also think, and this is, we go into detail on this in the blog post, but you can find ways to kind of represent your uncertainty and once you have that representation of how of all of the things you don't know so to speak sorry all of the things you know you don't know of course you can't have all the things you don't know right, right. we gotta be precise here yeah once <laughs> you at least include more of your known unknowns in the in the picture it allows you to like more sensibly take into account the information you have and that you don't have to come up with a decision okay well so Liam, like that's i've decided that if you ever do a podcast you will call it the known unknowns or, or a band or a band. Well, it should be the title of something. Well, I, I think the known unknowns is, you know, the unknown unknowns feels more like a philosopher's vibe, right? Right. But, um... The unknown unknowns. I guess you're right. Oh, but I like the known unknowns better. It's got a better ring to it. The known unknowns is more of a like swing to it, you know? Yeah. Um... Maybe it's a swing band then. So, okay. Actually, well, I, I am glad to go over some of those things because it, it kind of reminds me a little bit. I'm going to tie it in. Our letter exchange that we're talking Let's about. Let's go. Today. Segway. I'm, I'm, I'm getting from the right. <laughs> No, but it does remind me a little bit of it because you're like, well, here's what is, but it's how we respond to that information. Yeah. That That's where we go wrong. And that's kind of what your argument was the whole, I think, thread of our letter. Exchange. Do you know, Andrea, I was, I was sarcastic about the segue, but you actually pulled that off fair enough. Like, that oh, was good. <laughs> I actually was like, oh, good, he's got faith in me. Yeah, like, mm. I was being all ironic, but, like, you don't know carefully you own it. That was good. <laughs> I'm just a trusting Canadian lad. <laughs> good. Good oh, okay, so, but actually, for real, though, it, it does connect, and it, it, it I, okay, so I was, there are a couple different ways we could have done a follow-up chat, and I'm going to talk about them right now so i i thought we could you know continue the letter and be like oh okay let's let's keep talking where we left off um just because sometimes it's easier to do a direct back and forth um but keep mm -hmm. writing letters people <laughs> or or but then i was kind of like well i've only done about a quarter of the reading you sent me I wanted to talk to you before then because I'm like, who knows how long it's going to be. <laughs> so, 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 the, and I could have just been like, let's just continue talking without me reading them. But again, it was a thing I wanted to do myself in order to have an informed conversation with you post um, letter number seven, I believe. So, so I decided, okay, I think it would be more interesting anyway, actually, to talk about our experience of this sort of mode of communication slash how you were feeling about it, how if it changed you, your perspective, slash changed my perspective, that kind of thing. I I, I, I rather liked it. So um, I, as you mentioned, I had sort of I'd started up an account on this website, Letter, because um, you know I, I like the way Twitter allows me to talk to lots of people. I, I enjoy that. Um, but the nature of Twitter is it's hard to have kind of more detailed conversations 
because it's Twitter. And on the flip side, I have a blog, which we were just talking about, of course. And, you know, I really value my blog, but the nature of blog is it's much less like a conversation. It's more like giving speeches. Um, and so, you know, I, I sort of, I like the sort of the idea of letter is that I get to have the conversational format of Twitter, but the more detailed mm. nature of the blog. It was a, a nice compromise between those two ways of doing things. Um, and so I was really happy when, when he reached out and actually wrote me a letter. Which, mm-hmm. So, uh, so I, I, you know, I enjoyed having, I enjoyed getting to the exchange. Now, as to the actual exchange itself, that was very interesting too. Um, so for one thing, um, and actually another, you know, I, you know, I should never should have doubted you even in the slightest, Andrea. This is a wonderful setup. I'm going because as the setup reveals, like my actual normal work it's not really on the topics in the letter, right? Like, it's not like I specialize in critical race theory or something. I'm someone who, um, normally I'm doing science-y philosophy things, right? Yeah, and so, yeah. like, the problem is decision theory. Like, that's that's more representative of, of what I do. And so it was a chance to kind of um, try and set down some thoughts I've had for a while, but never really taken the time to, like, write up in any continuous detail. And so for me, it was really... that. I mean, just that in itself, just you prompting me to ask questions and especially um one of, later on in exchange one of your challenges is basically like you seem to differ from a bunch of the people who i see who are also um sort of uh inspired by this kind of set of ideas like why is that like think thinking that through um was really useful to me and that helped me understand not just what i believe but how i you know how i relate to other people in the same kind of sphere so for me it was a really it really helped me like develop and organize my thoughts and so for me it was really useful um so um and and that's of course that's you know i say for me that's putting emphasis on me but like really that is because of you know because of you because of your contribution not just in starting exchange but specific questions you asked me and ways you you raise you and just you put forward so it it was it was really good i mean how, how did you find it okay so thank you i know how hard it is for friends to get the compliments <laughs> out because you don't want to receive them and <laughs> so you're like, oh, I gotta give one, and he's probably gonna give one right back. <sighs> so, anyways, thank you, thank you for that. So that is good. It's good to hear. I honestly thought you were just like got it figured out, slapping some stuff down that I already knew. So I had no idea that in such you said it in such a in my mind in such a elegant way, slapping some stuff down on a page. It's what I do, but it, it it's something that I feel like I feel like I'm being way too informal. Sorry everyone. This is not a formal question and answer interview. This is just a chat. I I it's it's your damn blog. You can be as formal and informal yeah. as you can. Oh, please. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> anyway. Anywho, okay, so focusing back on what how I experienced it. Okay, so here's the thing. You are in academia all the time because that's your job. For me I am a full-time mother of three boys, and I don't, even when I'm on Twitter, I, it's kind of mirroring what you've described a little bit. I feel like it's an engagement, and so it is a bit of like a break from that, just taking care of people. It's, oh, I get to engage my mind a bit, but... I'm not um, really engaging on a deep level, so I'm not really sharpening any of my tools from my toolkit from when I was in school back in my undergrad. And I was 
such a nerd in my undergrad. Like I loved school. I was so sad to leave. And so I really miss en- missed engaging my mind and writing something that I was really like, this is what I think. And it doesn't have any likes or ums. I sort of surprised myself with, oh, I can, I can sort of craft a piece of writing to mean something that I am thinking in a refined way. That's what, mm. that's what I, I found. And Liam, you confused me more. Um, <laughs> not, not, a, it's sorry. not your fault. No, it's not your fault. It's me. You, you, you made critical race theory make so much sense. <laughs> <laughs> that was rough for my aim, so I, I know! my apology. You're like, wait, where did I go wrong? Oh no, I absolutely completed my objective. So Yeah. So so what is the problem, Andrea? <laughs> so no, no, what it is is black and white things are obviously so much easier to stomach because that's and that's why people do it. And Okay, I will, okay, uh, rather than being like, oh, why did you confuse me? I'll start with the things that I, I am not confused about. So the things that I thought shouldn't be under debate are the structure of power. That makes sense that it doesn't have to be white people in the West is what I'm thinking of. I'm not going to go into the Tang Dynasty because I don't know anything about it. But we're focusing on Western Europe and North America. So the invading parties were white people. So it makes sense to me. Like, it's almost illogical and counterintuitive to create a system that does not benefit you. So to me, that makes sense. And I don't think that's a radical claim. And a lot of people do. And so that one, I don't... I, I have for sure come over to your side on that so like you convinced me so that's something that you made clear to me that i was unclear about for the core of critical race and we moved on and you did a thought experiment which i loved could you <laughs> could you talk about it a little bit sure um so the idea of the thought experiment was to explain why it might be that if some of the ideas of critical race theory are sort of relatively uncontroversial when explained, um, still there might be sort of like bitter dispute apparently centered on um, critical race theory, even if like some of the core ideas seem uncontroversial. And uh, so I in, I had this thought experiment of the critical toe-stubbing theorists, where the thought was that there's, sort of, there's this uncontroversial claw, which is that um, toe-stubbing is painful and bad and um it's often caused by table edges um and so this is like you know theory this is table edges are causing this bad thing mm-hmm. okay and uh then so the, that's the that's the sort of core claims of the critical toe-stubbing theorists and that was meant to be analogous to like critical race theorists i think the example which i think is what you're drawing from here i thought like um in a society where previously, you know, there were the white settlers, they set things up explicitly or an advantage. They had, there was a racial caste system. And then maybe they get rid of that, but there's still inheritance law and low intermarrying. And so the, the wealth disparities of the past are kind of passed down in that way. Mm-hmm. And so there's kind of a, a 
advantage to being white in their system. And that's relatively uncontroversial, right? The historical facts about that, as you say, it's kind of uncontroversial. It would even be, un- even like be, it'd be surprising if it was false in some ways. Mm. So that all looks uncontroversial. So how comes there's there's fighting here? Uh, so then I thought that what the critical Stoke-Tosuckin theorists do is they conclude that um, what we should do to combat the evil of... Um, of toe stabbing is we should scatter Lego all over the floor of every room and refuse to let anyone wear shoes. And so you have to walk barefoot around the Lego rooms. Mm. And their rationale is that um, when people are barefoot and there's Lego in the room, they're careful. And when you're careful, you avoid table edges. And mm-hmm. so if you do, people won't um, stab their toes because they won't bump into the course of the, right. of the toe stabbing. And this, of course, generates much more dispute because... Um, because that's not a good idea. So, um, so you know, they do this, and then people sort of they disagree. They say, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna uh, put Lego on the floor and walk around barefoot. That's not a good way of dealing with this problem. But you can sort of imagine it only takes like a small initial misunderstanding. Right? You know, someone says that, and someone on the critical toe stopping theorists, they maybe accurately or not, they get the impression that what's being um, denied is that toe stubbing is bad or that soft pain is bad or something more more core like that so then they sort of respond by defending their their core claims they say like well how could you say that obviously it's bad to stub your toe you say you know and then again in a sufficiently polarized environment sort of the very fact of the other team defending a claim passionately is a temptation to defend the negation of whatever they're saying like you you say toe stubbing is bad well i say it's not bad but and that's just a temptation very polarized environment especially one where easy misunderstanding as possible. Oh, I thought we all um, agreed on the toe stubbing being bad, and now you're saying it's not bad. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and so, that it, you know, so the dispute kind of generates itself out of an initial misunderstanding, even though the core claim by itself was uncontroversial, it was just, it was added to more controversial claims. And, um, and finally, in the environment, so ridiculously, I imagine there are some sort of, there are malicious pro-toe stubbing agents trying to sow discord because the last thing they want is us to form a united front against toe stabbing. Now, that's admittedly, I can't think of any analog to that. But, like, um, you know, there really are people who are sort of, like, straightforward, the old-school racists, the Richard Spencers of the world or whatever. And they might really have an interest in there just being eternal failure to unify around an anti-racist platform. And so they'll do everything they can to to promote this kind of discord. And so then, so then what I imagined really is analogous there is, you know, you have critical race theory, which is grounded in relatively uncontroversial historical claims and then understanding about how things like inheritance law and things like that might work. Um, and then it's not the critical race theorists are saying anything as ridiculous as throw Lego around the floor. Yeah. But it's, it's more that, um, you know, social policy is complicated and hard. And like anything you propose is going to be difficult. It's going to be way more open to dispute. It's going to be much more controversial than the initial historical claim. And so once you've said that, of course, there's room to disagree about what Ezra was proposed we do next, right? Like, and you can see this like in the history, which um, which kind of, you know, uh, critical race theorist comes out of sort of tradition of African-American thought. And, in, and in, within African-American thought, there have been people who want more integration into the U.S. There have been people who want to um, go back to Africa. There have been people who want to um, have like a nation within the U.S., like set up a new nation and et cetera. Right? Like there hasn't been agreement even among, even within the tradition which the critical race theorists are drawing from yeah. on like what you actually do about this historical stuff because it's, it's always going to be controversial and hard. And so it's already difficult. And then you enter an environment where, where like, for whatever reason, you know, the cultural pre-exists this, like, 
Oh, that's a claim I'm not sure I believe. But, the, you know, for, for whatever reason, it's rife for polarization, yeah. and we're all communicating via mediums like social media where we don't know the people we're talking to, that make, like we don't have the context to interpret each other. Um, they really are malicious, you know, Richard Spencer's a real person, they really are malicious agents who will try and deliberately pr provoke strife and discord. And so we just have all of the ingredients where just as the critical soul-stopping theorists began of an uncontroversial claim and ended up in a vicious culture war, right. like we could, that. And so that, that would be my explanation for how it is um, critical race theory ends up generating this right. kind of discord. Because this is, the, I asked you something about we, we got on the subject of fruits and bearing fruit and by their fruits, you shall know them. And see, I knew you had a Christian degree. So I, was I, just, I, was just like <laughs> I have to go in the Jesus route. No, it, it was brought up about you brought it up on Twitter. And I was like, I'm going to use that in a letter about the fruits mm -hmm. that a system produces. And and that was, I think, kind of where this thought experiment came was your answer to my question of this. And I brought it back to something that I understand. I personally think that like the, the particular religion that I follow, which is, I don't just know about it. I don't have just a degree. I also am a practicing Christian. And I, although I've looked back and I've looked at the history, I've studied it, I don't think the core tenets of Christianity cause the power to corrupt, I don't think it's mm. from the core. So that's why I likened it to critical race, because you kind of brought word from that angle of the core tenets of critical race do not in the end of themselves corrupt. And and that's what why I brought it over to Christianity, because I was trying to liken it to something that I understand. So I know what, I have a version of this. And, but but even that, people are disputing about the core corrupting. And so I would say, okay, by their fruits, you shall know them. True Christian, <laughs> true <laughs> follower of Jesus, or not, right? And I am like, okay, so by their fruits, you shall know them. So where, why are you, the, okay, that's where I'm like, where are the fruits of critical race? So I think a few things. So the the reason in the letter, which I still believe, um, I said that um, I thought there's a kind of, there's a, a core to critical race theory, which is basically correct. And then there are many different directions you can go with it. I just mentioned the different schemes African-American theorists have proposed in the past. Is I think basically the core of CRT is just not specific enough, right? It, it says that... Um, that there's uh, racism, in, in, as you've mentioned, in the particular historical context, we're discussing racism, which puts white people roughly above black people, all things considered. Um, that thing is persistent, long-lasting, difficult to change. And then it also, you know, and it's bad. It's not just neutral. It's saying, it's saying that thing exists and, it, and it's not a good thing. Um, but... You know, that even and, and you know, and there's plenty more specific things said about like how that came to be and how that manifests itself and etc. But even once you add in all of those more specific things, um there's a lot left open, right? There's just a lot you can you, it doesn't yet really decide how exactly you should respond to this, um, what other ways of arranging things are possible, what actions one might take which are 
are likely to lead to a better state of the world. And so it's precisely that kind of lack of specificity, which means that I just think it's kind of by itself, it can't be a coordination device. Like it, it won't tell us enough about what we should do that it could get us all to agree on. Oh, you bring same. up the stoic principle alongside of it. You, yeah. you, okay, yeah. sorry, I'm getting ahead of. That, like, I think, you know, you just have to think like, it really, just, it, you have to respond to how how does it move me? Like, what would I do? Now, I think the the analogy there to religion is interesting because de facto that um, now this might be an impious thing to say, but I think de facto that is in fact true of most religions. But kind of in theory, the religions are meant to be more total and governing, right? Like you know, totally and governing. Like, what would Christ do? Is actually meant to be a genuinely good thing to ask yourself for any situation. And so that's the difference with CRT. It's just not as all-encompassing. I was tell you thinking everything. that as you, yeah. In, in, in fact, it because it does leave quite a lot open, what has to happen is people respond to, like, take it, add it to other stuff they believe, and then it's in that jumble, in that mix. I mean, jumble sounds uh, derisive, but I don't mean it to be. But it's just in that, like, total picture of the world that it they then bears fruit. Yeah. Um, and... Um, so I think that uh, often, often people, you know, and I, I guess I can say this with some confidence since Wheeler Left keep losing everywhere. Like we, we do not in fact have good theories about how to, like our total theories of the world aren't very successful in getting us to successfully coordinate um, and, uh, and, and change the world for the better. So, I think the sort of the question is like, is CRT um, a net, like a marginal good or a marginal bad in terms of is it making it more likely or less likely that we succeed in this thing, which admittedly we keep failing we do, um, failing to do. And I, I guess my sense is I just think it's a net, I think it's a marginal good um, in terms of I think that since it's saying things which are true and worth paying attention to, like because in particular it's, it's giving relevant. Um, it's the theorists, which when they explain the detail, are telling relevant things about how it is that initial injustices can be sort of perpetuated into the indefinite future. And that is a thing which you know we should care about not just our generation, but about future generations, right? And mm -hmm. so we'd want to have a which is not likely to do that exact thing, perpetuate bad things into the future. Mm -hmm. That's a thing worth knowing. About. And so you know, I do think it's helping us by giving us by like making us focus on something which is actually very important if you conceive of society as a as an intergenerational project where we're mm. in it together with our with our ancestors and also our descendants. Yeah. Um, and and so that makes me think. Well, if there are, I mean, <laughs> there are problems, and so where there are problems on the left, they the source is likely something else. It's like another source of disagreement. I, I think I, I in in the letter I mentioned one source is I think that often people. Um, like for reasons which I go into a bit there, but like are, are too pessimistic. I think that one of the things that if you can add CRT to and it becomes part of a worldview, which basically says it's not just that these systems are long lasting and difficult to change, but they're basically impossible to change. Like they will right. always win. Um, and I think that if you really take that on board, I mean, that can be quite nihilistic in its, in its consequences. And so okay. that's a source of problems. Okay. Okay. I feel like the, I feel like this helps to clear up some things more for me because I said how I was just confused at the end because, no, no, not because of you, like I said, because, well, it, no, no, it's it, it's a cognitive dissonance that I, I'm seeing this makes sense, but 
but you're also a very gifted writer and orator, sir. I'm not saying that as a compliment, sir. I am saying that <laughs> as, okay, as an <laughs> you are no, but you know you can if you wanted you could argue very well on any side because you're you're a philosopher. <laughs> it's like right. That's actually, what? That's famously the bark of a sophist, which is meant to be the opposite of a philosopher. Oh. Actually, I like the sophist. So. Okay. Oh well, well then you see you know you know the things. I don't know the things. That's why we're talking. But but no, but you you could you're very good at what you do and so because of that I I'm like is this just because Liam is excellent at making an argument or is it because it's true? No, no, of course that's true. I mean, one certainly shouldn't say you know one shouldn't believe things just because i said them um and more than that like i'm especially towards the end i mean i was i was i was speculating a bit so you know it's it's quite likely that i i i got a number of things quite wrong oh um, and, and i don't actually think you did like that's the thing i i don't think that you did but before when i was considering i didn't want to just and i believe you probably tell this to your students don't believe it just because i said it you know, yeah, yeah. and 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 so I'm trying to. I was trying to wrestle with, okay, I like what Liam says, but is this true for all? And I think that you said some of these things already, but it, it, that's why I wanted to talk, because the way you explained it in our our back and forth here, I think I can understand where you're coming from. Because I didn't want to put I, I, words in your mouth or ideas in your head, words in your mouth. Like I did, I didn't want to. Yeah, I did want to put ideas in your head though, because I was writing you. So, but I didn't want to speak for you, saying I don't think this is a wholly realized worldview, because I didn't know if you thought that or not. That's the thing. And now after our discussion here, you you are fully fine with no, no. This is a critique. This is a criticism. That's what it's literally called. And and I'm I, yeah. and so now I understand that and so that's why things are a bit more cleared up because I'm like oh we do agree oh. on that yeah no I I, I I quite so I mean I I should have clarified that before and I'm thank you for to drawing this out like yes that's a I do think part of what's going on is exactly that it's um, the critical race theory could only ever be sort of just one bit of a worldview and it's just not enough to to give you a full picture of of all of life and it's kind of not meant to be right so right. that's it it's a critique right. of the way racial relations have been organized. Right. And, and and people have taken it. I'm going to I'm going to bring them in. I'm going to bring him in. So, I'm going to bring him up. So, I know uh, for, okay, from Twitter James Lindsay has written about critical race theory being being like made into a religion. No, no. I mean, so I, I I think I've uh, read the the essay in question um and I don't really well on some level I agree and on some level, I agree in terms of, you know, um, insofar as, uh, you know, my, my, my overall worldview would include components which are kind of, which you could sort of reasonably describe as like sacred to me, and I'll think they're very important, but I might become agitated if they're challenged and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so for many people, their overall worldview would include elements of critical race theory and related ideas. And they might become agitated if they're, if they're challenged. And so to that, I think that's kind of a plausible psychological picture. So if that's what's meant by religion, 
then um, I think that's fine. I just think that's quite a sort of a minimal notion of religion. Um, now, James actually, oh, I say James, I'm certainly not on first terms with him. So uh, Dr. Lindsay uh, is, um, I, he, he's more specific than that, right? Like, he doesn't just mean religion just in that sense. He has more specific ideas about what it would amount to. And I think part of that is, if I'm remembering, I'm suddenly not confident in this, so correct me if I'm wrong. But I think part of that is a like a faith-based epistemology, but where the idea is that like you're kind of to accept things because they're sacred writ or because they are the law of our tradition or something along those lines. Mm, I think it is, yeah. And not to Christian scrutiny. And I, you know, I just don't agree that that's part of the the core of this thing. Now, I'm very worried that I'm actually misrepresenting Lindsay there. Well, I don't I think he thinks it's the core. Ah, oh, see, that's where I need to double check because i i might disagree with um with the uh, with the our our grievance studies friends here my grievance study friends so so helen pluckrose and um james lindsay but i have spoken with them about theory and they have their book coming out about a theory and their perspective and i, I do want to have a look at it with my yeah. my letter conversation with you in mind now um because i haven't looked at their book yet i don't actually think it's out so no I don't think it's out yet. you know i Probably, you know, to what will no doubt um, uh, make me very unpopular in my bit of Twitter. But I do actually intend to read their books. Um, okay, well, well, we should we should read what we we sh th that's good too, though, right? That probably could be defended, but I'm not doing it from anything so like so noble a motive. <gasps> um, I, I, it, it's more that I, I've had to kind of it's coming to terms with a fact about me, which is, um, I, you know, I've got behind me I've got all these books on like stoicism and confucianism and a virtuous life and whatnot but uh, some core of my personality is that I'm a messy bitch who lives for drama and um I just think I enjoy the culture war and I enjoy reading things which kind of take part in it oh, so oh, I'm probably going to read it just because I enjoy the drama is, is, is where my life that is that is hilarious and I am I actually am so like can we make it out of this, please, people? <laughs> that's, I, 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 that's, where that's the better. <laughs> that's where, but then I'm like, oh, I don't have time to read this stuff. <laughs> so, so my, my understanding, um, I, I don't know how, maybe Pluckers and um, Lindsay both agree. I've, I've seen this more from Lindsay because of the, the New Discourses website, which... I think it's mainly him, although he does sometimes feature work by the others there, mm -hmm. um, is that I, I think that where he might not so much disagree as be talking about a different thing is he sees critical race theory as part of, there's like this kind of general nexus, which is maybe like capital T theory or um, critical social justice theory. He's mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that general nexus like includes critical race theory as a component mm -hmm. but it, it's it's just a whole lot of things and i think sort of i think i think the the thing he would take to be the religion isn't just critical race theory it's rather it's like this whole interconnected i i think that um and and, and i think he would take that part of this 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 nexus this kind of overall web of belief uh, to use a philosophical term is is um some claims about like what knowledge is and how you can come to know things and how and what kind of methods are appropriate for finding out about the world mm. um 
and and he thinks they're really bad right he thinks they're like um they kind of license like ignoring evidence when it's not useful to you and and this is there's some sort of really bad mistakes about how to discover things and inquire are like ways of knowledge right 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 ways of knowledge and the idea that everything is a social construct yeah and so they so maybe they think that yeah there's two things they're not in agreement with there's the the metaphysics bit about like it's sort of everything somehow really dependent on like the way we describe it and somehow for like what it is depends crucially on how we take it to be in some way mm-hmm. uh, and on the flip side I mean, and i guess maybe related to that therefore that a lot of ways of inquiring about how things are like when if you think that like how we decide things are we'll, we'll decide how they are then it looks like a kind of different thing to like work out how things actually are because what you should really do is work out how you want them to be because then you can sort of will them to be that way right. if only you act a kind of way um and so i so i think they they take these ideas to be like core and central to it um and and you know they're not basing it on nothing and I'm, I'm not totally unsympathetic to some of the ideas they're responding to you know i i I do think, for instance, I often use this analogy on on the internet, but I think the idea of social constructions is is much derided, but like there are some things which are clearly social constructions. So like the question is really just what does that mean in any one case and 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 is it plausible here, right? So it seems, you know, um, there's got to be some sense in which, I don't know, a bridge is a social construction, given that usually it's a group of people who came together and literally constructed it. But there's got to be another sense in which it's not, because if we all decided to like refer to the material the bridge is made out of as concrete rather than wood, it wouldn't change what the bridge is actually made out of, right? Yes, like, we can't change. Right? So, like, you know, so it just, in, in individual cases, like working out what's meant by social construction is just going to be difficult and some ways it's going to be, some sense it's going to be one of which sense it won't be, won't be. And I tend to think that a lot of the problems of social construction, I tend to think that uh, what's happened is sometimes representing some people's, they, they found kind of people espousing very un, uh, un, implausible versions of it um, and attributing that to everyone. Or they're reading implausible. Sometimes I think a bit less charitably. They're reading implausible versions into people who could be read as saying a more plausible thing. And so sometimes I disagree with them there, and other times I disagree with them in terms of I just don't think that the commitment to a kind of like uh, anti-scientific or anti-empirical um, way of way of learning about the world is like a really a core part of this. That's it. Just doesn't seem to me. A given. Now, I should say the other thing about this, and I don't want to say this, is it's always possible that what's going on is like they're just talking about a different group of of people from me, roughly. And right. so when they say what's core, they're just really they're describing core to other people, and so I'm just like not picking up on the social circles they're responding to or something like that. Right. That could be. I don't, but this is you know I don't know how to respond to that. Like, I can only I speak for me, and it doesn't seem core to me. And so yeah, no, and <laughs> I like, and I I think that. That's why I'm so glad that I was able to find someone like you to see that there is a different way of looking at critical race theory that 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 it may be this other side, this other group of people that, you know, a.k.a. I brought up the idea of, uh, you know, the, the evergreen situation like that was that's what is very often cited. And I cite it because I'm when you see the things you're afraid of what what if this happens again what's going to happen to society like and i i mind you i must say i i've 
altered my perspective only re regarding the idea that the, the teachers made like like what have they created because look at the rhetoric that they they espoused and and, and then they took it out and then they said you you taught us this you know i heard the chance i quoted it in our letters you know like I, I i brought those things up but since i've interviewed uh jeffrey sachs about mm -hmm. indoctrination theory and mm -hmm. um for those of you who don't know what indoctrination theory is it is the idea that professors <laughs> indoctrinate their students to believe what they believe and and, yeah. and and push away the whatever they believed when they went in. But they, they have done studies and it's not true. They, they you, what, what you enter in, you kind of leave with. And, and those who actually do influence are peers, not professors. Yeah. And so... Yeah. Um, so, so I actually specifically bring up this idea about Evergreen, um, and he says, I think the idea that would make the most sense is that those that was the most liberal college in the United States, and so the people who were drawn to that campus were already the personality who were predisposed right. to believe in these theory in in theory in this in these theories. And, and I actually, this is where I would add my own. I think that personality has a lot to do with how, how fundamentalist you can become. And these particular people had a propensity towards um, living out the theory quite literally in a very activist sense. Um, and an activist, I don't want to, because I, I, again, I, I was speaking with, with Aaron on his podcast. I, he interviewed me and asked me, like, why do you think activism you kind of have a negative view of activism and i don't i maybe activism is the wrong word because obviously there are some activists that i am really look up to like looking in the 60s you know like like protesting the vietnam war or protesting um the like like so civil rights wise you know sorry not protesting civil rights protesting for civil rights and whatnot, and I I'm not against. Yeah, I know. Let me make that very clear. <laughs> I'm not against activism. I'm just against the idea of again the problematizing everything and, and and standing on certain hills to die on. I think there are certain hills we we that are that are worth standing to die on, and and and, and the ones some that were were um, revealed in Evergreen, they were standing on every single hill. I noticed earlier you, you, you um, used um, that's not a radical idea as a means of expressing like agreement or its plausibility at least. And of course that's interesting because I some seems like some radical ideas are true. And so right. yeah. um, okay. I, I don't necessarily, similar to the kind of negative connotations of activists, um, I don't really share that. Like I'm like many activists are good. Well, maybe but activism is not the right word that I use. That, that's why I... I do want to clarify, it's not that I'm against activism, but I do think that there's a, a sort of time and a place slash idea of um, choosing the appropriate hill to die on. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does, right? And so, so one might think that, um, so like, you know, the, the hill to die on in Evergreen from what, what's available that I've seen at least was... Uh, 
whether or not the day of absence concerned white people leaving campus or, mm-hmm. or black people leaving campus, right? That was at least the sparking event in some sense. Um, that way, was, yeah, that, yeah, they, they switched. Yeah, usually it would be be people of color would leave, and they switched it. Oh, it was people of color. They switched yeah, it. That was it. Yeah, 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 and said that like and that, that, white people, you leave. Yeah, yeah. There's more so, to it. There's lots. There's so much more to it. Yeah, this is the thing. I, I think there's a whole history. I, I you know, largely, I, I think basically, I, I just don't know that much about the situation. Right. Really that but but the people uh, people really have watched this, and they're they're like, this is when is this going to happen in my town? I, I I suppose that um to sort of relate it to matters where I and we can say a bit more. Um, you mentioned earlier, you sort of you asked like, well, where where do you see the the unity emerging? And so what I said in response, firstly, was that I think. By itself, because it's only focused on a particular aspect of the world, critical race theory can't can't be all that you have to coordinate mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I should say that there's a, a a couple more things, and one of which, of course, is going to be um, very controversial and actually would relate to things which Lindsay and uh, Pluckrose and Bogosian say, which is I actually think that um, a lot of what um, intersectionality theory um, is or was meant to do was actually meant to be sort of like to provide a framework for people with a certain kind of political tradition to be able to unify and work together. So the thought was that you could have some way of saying that um, like uh, there are problems which face me as, you know, whatever demographic group I'm in and the problems which face you as whatever demographic group you're in. And we didn't expect those problems to be the same or to be competing. So we don't have to argue about who has the real problems or anything like that. There's not like one axis where like if things get better for me, they must get worse for you or vice versa. Mm-hmm. Rather, the world's it's like throwing up problems of all different sorts all over the place. And what we should do is just kind of like um, band together to address each of the particular kinds of concerns which address us without feeling the need to compete over who has it worse or something like that. And so... I don't think, when I say initially meant to do it, let me be careful about that. The initial academic idea is separate from that too. The initial academic idea involves trying to identify particular ways that particular legal systems or particular systems of governance in the United States, as we first come up with, were firstly failing black women in particular, but then maybe a bit expanded, failing various groups who had multiple problems coming at them, um, and ways in which that was leading to oppression and, and bad stuff. Um, but then there was a kind of a pop cultural osmosis of that. And I really think there was a kind of first round pop cultural osmosis where like the going move of intersectionality theory was something along the lines of um, person on, you know, forum back in 2004 is complaining about their life problems. Other person on forum says, you think you've got it hard. Let me tell you about my life problems. It starts complaining about that. And there's a sense of competition. And then one or both or a third party eventually says, hold on, intersectionality theory we each have our problems, me qua whoever I am, you qua whoever you are, that's okay. Like we can still we can acknowledge that and sort of work together on both our problems. So I, I really think those initial move for intersectionality theory, oh. my sort of memory of it is a form of like it was it that was actually it was meant to be a, a unifying framework. And you will still still sometimes see this in in um in activist circles actually, where you'll see like some like uh, cultural institutional memory of of that understanding of intersectionality theory, where people will say like you know what we mean by we're doing an intersectional struggle would be the kind of language is like everyone gets to bring their problems to the table and like we as a group commit to trying to like identify 
and work on all of them together, where we all pitch in and thus help out. And so, like, there was actually a real attempt to sort of use intersectionality theory as a resource to to create a kind of united struggle. Um, as I said, you know, I, I right now in in the UK, I'm writing this just after, um, I mean, the left, the the Labour lost a big election, and then after that, within um, within Labour, there was sort of a factional infight and. The left then lost the leadership elections, and I was so you know I, I I say this having recently been extremely humbled by repeated defeats um, electorally. So I very <laughs> extremely need to just endorse whatever it is the left are doing. That's obviously good. Clearly not. We keep losing. Um, but it doesn't strike me as that. Maybe it is. It doesn't strike me that it's impossible to use these ideas as a means of trying to like create a base around which people can unify. It hasn't worked, so like I, I'm not you know, something has something's been going wrong, but I, I don't think I fully understand why, and I don't think it's because these ideas are impossible. Well, I I think that I like I like that. I think if if that would be employed, that idea of uh, intersectionality being uh, something that you got your problems, I've got mine. Let's work on them together, as opposed to the competition of who has it worse, which is where yeah. where it's. I don't want to say it's become, but where it's caricatured, I suppose would be maybe a way to say it. That's what we who are not, don't know anything about any of this. That's what we're being told it is. Well, so, so I mean, I don't, I mean, I do, so I think it's complicated in that I think that people who sort of generally don't like it will certainly point to instances of that. And it's a bit unfair to say that all of, it's a certainly a caricature of intersectionality theory, to say it's only that that doesn't really get the academic use at all and even in activist circles i do think there's this unifying use but i don't think it's a total caricature either like i certainly have seen people sort of roughly sort of not just intersectionality theory like for, for any left-wing idea you can find someone saying that like left-wing idea roughly means never having to say i'm sorry and it right, means yeah, yeah. it's the explanation of why i get to be a bastard to you and you can't complain about it right. so I've, I've seen intersectionality theory deployed Way. I've seen other people. I've seen various ideas deployed in that way. When I was um, younger, I mentioned the anti-Iraq war thing. So at the time, there were a bunch of kind of splinter groups off of of Labour, because Labour, of course, were were the ones in government and were were supporting the Iraq war. And often in those circles, they'd be more inspired by kind of like Marxist or or Trotsky ideas. And and you would see kind of some kind of vague sense that the reason I'm a bullying bastard is something something Trotsky, therefore it all makes sense. And so you know, I, I feel like I recognize this before, where like you can just vaguely appeal to some left wing idea, and it's it's why I get to indulge my worst instincts. Right, right. And so like I don't think people are pointing to nothing when they say sometimes intersectionality theory could be used in those kind of ways too. But I just don't think it's fair to say that's all of it, or that's the only possible use. So even right. sometimes when people say going on is often doesn't it's not really a fair read of what's going on in that situation etc i like that's why i really do like your inclusion of the stoic principle because mm. i i actually remember watching a um you know like the, there's those those ted ed videos have you seen them they're like ted talk yeah. puts them out but yeah they're cartoon it really it, it, it is it, it's a cool little explanation of of stoicism and <laughs> It's so funny because I remember watching this and I was like, that sounds like the Stoics were closeted Christians. <laughs> <laughs> I know that Jesus wasn't around. 
<laughs> so I understand that. But there is a sort of um, early Christianity had a, it, well, it's, it's a merging of Judaism and, um, and Hellenistic ideas. I watched it and I was like, oh, that's like, you're responsible for yourself. Like, take the plank out of your own eye before you, you know, yeah. reach for the speck in, in your brothers, you know, the idea. And um, I think that the idea of the stoic principle married to the idea of sort of understanding these cores of critical race, I think that could be a good balancing. So the particular um, application of the stoic principle in the letter, right, was that... Um, I think that uh, it was peculiar about like what you believe or what you're, uh, you're, you're right. The stoicism is more general than that, but I was thinking specifically of like, um, like you, you can't, it's a kind of requirement to think for yourself as almost enlightenment idea, which is anachronistic uh -huh. okay. in its own way. Um, okay. But like where it's kind of like uh, what critical race theory entails for you depends crucially on, um, how what in general you believe about the world right because it's not complete and so you have to add it to your total worldview yeah and so like you are kind of responsible for the fruit it bears for you because it's really a it's a consequence of not just it but how it how it relates to you and your worldview and your mm -hmm. character and stuff um i don't so it's a kind of it's a, it's a much debated thing about whether or not stoicism as a philosophy in general uh leads to a kind of um a, a more of a retreat from public life. Now, you know, you did say, of course, some people do have the responsibility to tend to systematic issues. You weren't saying totally retreat, but um, I tend actually to think of stoicism as probably requiring um, more public engagement. So I, I, really? I think it's a kind of, there are some philosophies, and I would probably also, although here we might disagree as well, I, I would probably also think this of Christianity. I think there are some philosophies which very much kind of, um, discourage like earthly comforts or pleasure seeking in your life and say so kind of that's much less important than like than justice or goodness or morality in general and part of what justice or goodness or morality means is is society being a certain kind of way and so for the Christ, for, for christianity i tend to see it as um uh, you know the kind of social gospel style understanding of like well you know there's there's a peculiar social mission which is part of it's not the only thing but it's part of being a good christian mm. the poor for, yeah attending to the poor eg yeah and and for stoicism i tend to like you know one of the core you know you can't be virtuous unless you uh unless you promote justice that's that's a clear part of stoicism and i tend to think that that therefore means that uh you know you just have to kind of devote yourself to to promoting the virtue and, the, and justice and the good as much as you can um but now, as much as you, you know, can it, as much as you can like that that's that's sort of the key There's, uh, some yep. people can more than others yep and and appropriately they have you know to those that have you know more should be required right like so like the, the more responsibility you have will do but you should also of course you know you shouldn't shirk from opportunities to take on responsibilities just because more will be required of you right. insofar as you're able you should take on those responsibilities and do well and so that might mean for instance you should get involved in in activist groups for instance because that might be your local way of trying to take on more responsibility and through that more responsibility do more good okay. and then that might not be the best use of your time i'm not saying that necessarily is but just it could be um and so i tend to think that here too where i tend to think that um and this might even really actually funny enough to the one of the points earlier which is um 
Sorry, now I've just segued into what stoicism. I love stoicism. No, no, I know. Like, this um, is, I, we, this is great. So, so um, you know, I mentioned that one of the ways in which I think uh, critical race theory can go wrong is if, if the sort of the, there is this kind of it's long injustice is long lasting and difficult to remove, and that can lead to a kind of pessimism which becomes so, so core that it becomes a kind of nihilism, and that's bad for you. I think stoicism is actually a really good antidote to that because stoicism encourages you to try and, you know, you know the reward of seeking justice isn't that you necessarily expect to win anytime you see it, right? Like right. stoicism is about like justice is a reward, doing the right thing. The good thing about doing the right thing is that you've done the right thing. And like, that's it, right? You can't expect more than that. Well, that's and kind so of I think why in, in... I brought up the idea of it. The, the, that's kind of like the, that Christian oh, right, good, right. type yeah, next, thing. I, yeah. Like, do yeah, I just thing? totally agree with you then, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I think I misunderstood you, right? So I, I thought you were saying that maybe it would encourage a retreat and that's not what you're saying. And if, if what you meant rather was that what it encourages is like seeing if like, well, look, I'm doing what I can by taking yeah. whatever I'm doing. That, yeah. It's that's not nihilistic. The, the line. It's what I can do. Right. Yeah, good. Right. In that case, I agree. And I, and I think that's, that would be why stoicism. All oh, right. Now, sorry. I didn't follow you before. This is what you were saying. I'm just agreeing with you. But I okay. do agree with you. But, uh, <laughs> stoicism is a very good like component of that. And, you know, I just historically, I think it's very interesting that a number of the most famous um Interesting about critical race theory. Um, black liberatory activists have actually been admirers of or confessed Stoics. So Nelson Mandela, very famously, um, drew Stoic writings, and Toussaint Louverture in Haiti was really oh. inspired by Epictetus. So there is actually a bit of a link between Stoicism and like black liberation. So it's not that historically has been the case, and I think it would be good for it to be the case. So again. it's good to put what what it is is I think the main takeaway I have taken from this chat is that it's not critical race theory should not be the only thing um you live your life by it's a way of critiquing things and, and like particular things right so you mentioned that you mentioned before like you know critical race theory um has really been focused on the era following sort of european expansion to the new world and and the things that followed and so while you know it's it's not impossible to think of like well look presumably there might have been similar dynamics well, I say presumably, that's not true. It's possible that there were similar dynamics in the Roman Empire of conquered peoples. Did similar things play out there? Or it was possible that, you know, Tang Dynasty China did that exhibit similar patterns, right? So you can ask those questions, and I don't know what the answer would be because I'm not an expert. But really, the, the focus of the theory certainly has been on, like, a particular period of the world and a particular set of relations in that time frame mm -hmm. and that the bit of the world. And so it's not just that critical race theory... Um, isn't meant to be um, one's total worldview, but like it couldn't be. It just doesn't discuss enough right. stuff, right? Like right. It, it doesn't even really discuss all of the instances of of ethnic hierarchy in the world. It just discusses this time frame in this part of the world, right. and it can be extended to other things. But that's creative work, um, and so I think it's like where you see people um, basing their action, um, basing their actions apparently on you know this is what you taught us. I think that was what people said um, on critical race theory one will find that it's part of a total nexus of other things. Now that of course is something which I do say, um, I do think like Lindsay and and uh, Pluckrose and Bogosian, they do acknowledge that, right? They, they don't just think it's critical race theory, they think it's a, a total network. So I disagree with them about what's in that total network. Um, interesting though, of course, I, I've read the, the New Discourses post on um, critical race theory. So here's the thing specifically on critical race theory. And to me, it stood out that, you know, this is a, I'm going to the website now. Oh, you're going to go in. This yeah. is what they came but, um, for. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, I'm I'm providing advert for the thing, so yeah, yeah I should be happy. With me. <laughs> um, so the thing which really stood out to me, of course, this is a website sort of dedicated to uh, attacking um, um, the set of ideas here. Um, and I'm I'm not going to be able to find it, unfortunately. But um, there was there was definitely there are things in the specific at, um, at article on critical race theory. Oh, there he is. He's a quote from the first paragraph. There are of course many kernels of truth within critical race theory, or that critical race theory is built upon. So even the website, which is like dedicated to attacking this nexus of ideas, does involve like a, a brief but like a real sort of acknowledgement. Like, look, it's not all wrong. Like yeah. that that's right in the opening, and that does suggest to me that like critical race theory, like. The ideas here, I, I you know, I, I think there's some power from them, there's some truth to them, and they can be integrated into our view, which is, which is productive and useful and can be a source of unification for us. Um, and so, if people aren't finding it does that for them in their or in their experience, then as we discussed, I would encourage them to kind of like to sort of apply the Stoic principle and think, well, what would it mean for me, given what I believe? Set aside what I think of people doing wrong. How could I do better, and how could I use these ideas for the good? And I think if people did that, they would find even professed opponents, they would find those kernels of truth, they would find the, the, the true ideas it's built upon, and they would make something of it. And it really could be not in and of itself the only thing we unify around, but part of a unifying a unifying worldview which helps us struggle against the bad things as well. Yeah. Well that's what we're all that's what life is. It's a struggle. <laughs> and then we die. <laughs> and then we die. Oh man. Okay, so I think this is I think this is good. I think this is what I was looking for. Um a sort of tying off a little bow of that our little exchange. It's not that I don't want if you want to write back, I definitely would be happy to hear hear more, but because I don't want people to think that they write a couple of letters and then end it off on the podcast and then then be done. But it is I I like it that way because I have this ability to do it that way. Oh, certainly, I agree. I mean, I found it really useful and I found conversations to you really useful in general. Thank you, Andrea.